Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Well, as it says on my own IMDb page, as a quote from me, differences about movies make the world go round. So exactly. here we are. Uh, it's here we much are. more in- much more interesting when it's much more interesting when we disagree. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Call Needham. Founder and CEO of IMDb. Welcome back to our fourth annual conversation of our best of movies. Is how do you feel? How, I feel great, but is is this our fourth one? This is our oh, fourth one. My goodness. Wow. It is becoming one of my favorite annual traditions. And yes. as I was looking at our lists uh this year, I realized, you know, Colin and I, our top ten lists. We always vary so much in the movies we pick, and that's what makes this conversation so fun. Because if we just picked the same ten movies, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be as exciting for for listeners. So I, I'd love for you to guess: out of the forty movies we've discussed, how many have we shared on our lists? Four. <laughs> Four is correct. That's exactly no! right. Yeah. Oh wow. That, yeah. Now, was, that that's genuine as well. I mean, it's. <laughs> That was an absolute guess. Four. That, that was a great guess. Yes, a strong wow. four films, ten uh, percent over uh, the four years, including including the ones we're going to be talking about today. So, uh, for right. fans who are listening, you're going to have another fun conversation where we're going to talk about uh, our ten films to kick off IMDb's best of uh, annual lists. And if you want to go to imdb.com/slash/bestof. You can see our running list of all types of fun uh, lists that IMDb compiles from our amazing IMDb data, uh, you know, breakout stars, top shows, top movies, all that sort of stuff. Well, as it says on my own IMDb page, as a quote from me, differences about movies make the world go round. So exactly. here we are. Uh, it's here we much, are. More in- much more interesting when it's much more interesting when we disagree. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, 
people that whenever I post these things, I always get comments like, how does Call watch so many movies in the year? So this is also one of my favorite things to do. So me personally this year, I have watched 57 2021 new releases, which I always think is pretty good until, of course, uh, we come to your number, which I'm sure uh, uh, stomps all over mine. So so what are your Call Needham watch stats for this year? Okay, so um, overall, so far, as of the date of recording, I've seen 868 movies uh, this mm-hmm. calendar year, and 296 of those are from 2021. Amazing. I mean, that's almost tracking to one new movie per day. That's going to be just short. Right? I know. I I was wor- I was working this out, and and unfortunately, like I've still got time. I'm I'm going to add some more <laughs> movies to this to this list, especially like once the holiday season starts. Um, right. I can really work on my my catch up for the year, but I I will not get to 365 oh. from 2021. You know what? Let's just kick off right now. So. Uh, like I said at the top, Colin and I are going to quickly go through our 10 through 6 uh, numbers. And if you want to check out Call's full list and our other lists, you can go to imdb.com slash best of. Um, so I'll start with my 10 through 6, again, going 10 to uh, descending order. So my number 10 uh, was Fran Kranz's Mass, which I saw at Sundance uh, earlier this year. My number 9 was Judas and the Black Messiah, directed by Shaka King. My number eight is my only A24 film on my list this year, which uh, I know calls calls just as shocked as I am. And that is uh, David Lowry's The Green Knight. Uh, uh-huh. Number seven, um, one of quickly became one of my favorite animated films of all time is The Mitchells versus The Machines, which was directed oh. by Michael uh, Rianata and Jeff Rowe. And my number six was another uh, film out of Sundance. And my only horror film, uh, on the list, which is also kind of a shock, which is uh, James Ashcroft's Coming Home in the Dark, which is a really fantastic uh, New Zealand horror film out of Sundance. So uh, when I looked at that list, I, I realized, uh, Carl, you know this, uh, for for me, I had a big life change this year. I had uh, my first daughter. Um, and so when I'm looking at my list, and we'll talk about it a little more uh, as we go in more in depth, my movie perspective has has slightly changed, I noticed. Uh, and some things that I think maybe have, would not have floated up to the top so much uh, came struck me a little differently this year. So yeah, so those are my 10 through 6s. It's, um, it's a good job you have Mitchells versus the Machines on there, which was also made my long list for my right. top 10. Um, because I don't know, in about three years' time, your entire top 10 <laughs> is going to consist of animated <laughs> family movies. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, so, Carl, what is your 10 through 6? All right. Okay. So, at number 10, I have uh, Coda, which pretty much won everything at this year's virtual Sundance Film Festival. Uh, number 9, I have The Little Things, um, which uh, which is directed by John Lee Hancock. And I, I want to give a shout out at this point, um, because he also directed one of 2016's Hidden Gems, the founder, which is the story of Ray Kroc, who is kind of responsible for the McDonald's restaurant chain. Um, so um, uh, little things there at number nine. At number eight, Encounter, uh, which stars Riz Ahmed, uh, who's just phenomenally talented 
um, actor, and you'll remember uh, we must have talked about Sound of Metal at some point uh, together, maybe last year on this, yeah. and, and if not, that was well, on my we list should last have done. Year, yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah. that's that's where it's coming from. Um, Michael Pierce, who made uh, directed that, also directed Beast, which was one of my hidden gems of 2017. Um, plugging away here for the hidden gems because uh, I. I, I I love to kind of find the things that maybe haven't been highlighted, maybe haven't quite hit the mainstream yet, um, and and share them out via the Hidden Gems list. So definitely check out Hidden Gems. Uh, number seven, Mothering Sunday. Now, you have A24. Mm-hmm. I have number nine films. Uh, they are my <laughs> equivalent of A24. Um, they've made uh, films such as Colette, Carol, Hyena, Byzantium, all of which made my top tens in their respective years. Um, film stars Odessa Young, who was in Shirley, which was in my top ten of 2020. And Alice Birch wrote the screenplay for this. Um, you might be familiar with Alice Birch's work because um, she also wrote Lady Macbeth, and last year, she wrote my favourite TV show, which was Normal People. Um, so that's number seven. Uh, number six, Dune. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> as, as, our, as our colleague Alex would say, the best first half of a movie of 2021. Um, absolutely loved that film um, mm-hmm. and cannot wait for part two. Yeah, really amazing, especially to see, you know, in a big screen for the first time for a lot of people, really, really stunning to see. So let's go into our top fives now. So we'll start with you and then we'll alternate back and forth. So, Call, what is your number five movie of 2021? Okay, number five uh, is Petite Maman, uh, which is a French film directed by Céline Siama. Uh, and I... I don't want to reveal too much about this because it's it's ve- it's a very special movie, and the less you know, mm. the better. Um, but Celine also made Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which made my top ten that year, and then she also co-wrote Paris Thirteenth District, which is in my hidden gems list. And this was a film bath uh, screening with an audience. And I fell in love with this lovely little film. Yeah, um, I have yet to see this one. Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire is one of my favorite movies of that year as well. Um, really phenomenal. And, and it's, you know, it's so hard for, for film fans, at least here in the United States, when a movie like this from a, you know, a French-European film director comes out and when a movie like Portrait becomes popular over here, people are anticipating uh, their next project. But... You know, they stick to the festival circuits. And so, you know, we're all waiting for this to, to get a mass release over here. So I'm very jealous this was on your list because this is definitely on my um, anticipated movies. Overall, do you want to give us a synopsis of, of what it is or, or you think that's even too much for, well, for listeners? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, of course, in these situations, you should always consult IMDb. So, right. I, so I've, I've, I've pre-vetted this and our plot okay. outline is just enough to tease what the film's about without giving too much away. So here we go. Nellie has just lost her grandmother and is helping her parents clean out her mother's childhood home. She explores the house and the surrounding woods. 
One day, she meets a girl her same age building a treehouse. Hmm. Yep, and that sounds just as sort of cryptic and mysterious as Portrait of a Lady on Fire is as well. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to that. My number five is Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner's uh, remake of the 1961 musical classic West Side Story. Um, I was able to see this at a screener um, a, a couple days ago. And if I'm being honest, I was pretty hesitant going into this. I was wondering... You know, I'm kind of always iffy on reboots and remakes in the first place. And I was wondering, like, why this was getting done. And let me tell you, shame on me for thinking that Steven Spielberg couldn't do this. Um, You know, I I found myself several times getting mad, being like, why didn't Steven Spielberg do more musicals? Uh, Because he's he's really, it's really phenomenal. Um, They modernized the story to, you know, make sense in 2021. The performances were amazing, in particular Rachel Zegler. This is her first um, starring role. She was found on like a Twitter contest, and she plays Maria, and she was incredible. It, it was just such a treat and so fun to watch. I, I'm really anticipating you seeing it because I, I have a very good feeling that this is going to sneak in your list. <laughs> this is the problem, isn't it, with these lists? We're, we're not quite at the end of the year. Um there are there are movies that have are about to be released, mm-hmm. and you can't possibly see everything before we get to talk about them. I, Steven Spielberg is my favourite living director, uh, and on on my on my actual top ten, I do call out a few of the movies that I have yet to see, uh, and. Mm-hmm. Unlike you, I had every faith that Steven Spielberg could direct <laughs> a musical and do it well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he, he does an amazing job. Uh, on, on that same conversation, I mean, my favorite living director is Paul Thomas Anderson, and, and I haven't had a chance to go see Licorice Pizza yet, uh, which I'm sure is going to, you know, jump towards the higher end of my, uh, uh, my best stuff list. But once I see it, I'll have to update it, and I'll let you know how I feel about it. I'm in um, the same boat on Licorice Pizza as well. Yep. <laughs> and West Side Story is not available for streaming yet, but you should be able to go see it in theaters right now. Let, let's go on to your number four movie. Hey, hey. All right. Now, at number four, I have Last Night in Soho, uh, which uh, it was directed and co-written by Edgar Wright. Um Edgar co-wrote this with Christy Wilson Cairns, uh, who also wrote 1917, uh, which did extremely well in my 2019 uh, list. And and I I cannot wait to see what she writes next because she is also scheduled to write Taika Waititi's 2025 Star Wars film. So, so kind of the great writing talent on this, uh, uh, right up there. Um, great cast in this one. Uh, Thomasin McKenzie, who you might know from Leave No Trace and Jojo Rabbit. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, of course, from 2020's mm-hmm. TV hit Queen's Gambit. And then, um, sadly, it's the, it's the last film of Diana Rigg. So I'm going to use the IMDb plot outline again 
because I don't want to spoil too much of this. And these these plot outlines are phenomenally good at giving you just the right <laughs> teaser uh, without giving too much away. So here we go. An aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. But the glamour is not all it appears to be. And the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker. Uh, <laughs> another brilliant film by Edgar Wright. Um, and I, I so loved Baby Driver. Uh, so loved The World's End. And this is, this is a completely different film for Edgar. And it mm-hmm. works so well. Yeah, Thomas and Mackenzie uh, and Anya Taylor-Joy are, re- are really fantastic throughout the whole movie. Um, they're both some of my favorite. Uh, it's hard to call Anya Taylor-Joy an up-and-coming actress at this point, but of younger Hollywood stars, um, I, I really enjoy watching and look forward to all their movies. And then for me, when I, when I watched this, I got, I got to see this in theater, and uh, you know, I, I, like you, didn't travel this year, and I love London so much. Like It is my favorite city in the world, and so... Getting to sit in a theater and sort of be there was a very fun experience for me. So um, I I got to see this at the London Film Festival. So it was very all the jokes about London that can because there is some humor in there right. as well. All the jokes about London played really, really well to the London <laughs> Film Festival audiences there. Well, if you weren't at the London Film Festival and you hadn't had a chance to check it out in theaters, last night in Soho is actually available to rent right now. And you can check that out on Prime Video. Uh, my number four, uh, which was featured on the first episode of our new podcast hosted by Lizzie Bassett and Alex Logan, IMDb is obsessed, is right. Jane Campion's return to film The Power of the Dog, um, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, and the incredible Cody Smith-McPhee. It is about a charismatic rancher, Phil Burbank, and he inspires fear and awe in those around him. When his brother brings home a new wife and her son. What a phenomenal movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to explain. Um, you know, it's, it's a movie that when you watch it through, and I'll be very tight on details here because I think the beauty of this film is, is the third act in particular. And this movie, the third act and the finale is so rewarding that I know on multiple rewatches, and I've only had a chance to see this one time, um, you're going to sort of unpeel things more and more and sort of see things as they develop throughout the film um, because Jane Campion does such an amazing job of having uh, the audience really wonder sort of what's going on until things sort of click uh, and fall into place very, very cleanly. Um, and it's a really wonderful character study of of multiple people. You know, when I finished watching it, I was thinking, you know, who is the hero? Who is the villain here? Are there heroes? Are there villains? Or is it sort of just an amalgam of, of these people in, in this really uh, lonesome Western situation. Um, it, I, it was really, really amazing. And, and as I said earlier, Lizzie and Alex do an amazing job talking about this with no spoilers. Uh, I produced the episode and still went into the film completely unaware of like what was uh, going to um, happen on screen. Um, so definitely check that out. Go listen to it. But I, I was such a, a big fan of, of this movie. Uh, Carl, yeah. do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I so I saw this at the London Film Festival uh, with an audience, uh, with Jane Campion there, with uh, many of the cast um, on on stage to introduce, um, and 
you're you're right about kind of keeping the details kind of sketchy um and i think as as alex and lizzie discuss it's it's almost wrong to call this a western yeah um it's something bigger than that it just happens to be set mm-hmm. in that kind of a context um so um yeah loved loved the loved the film and Loved seeing it with an audience because there were there there was definitely a, a, a brilliant shock reaction to yeah. everything that goes on in that film. Uh, I only saw it once with an audience, unlike Alex, who saw it twice. Twice, <laughs> yeah. He loved it so much he had to go back. And I have to shout out uh, Johnny Greenwood of my favorite band, Radiohead, uh, who is also just an incredible uh, score composer, um, film composer. He he does the score for The Power of the Dog, and it, it's really like chilling and, and adds so much to the uh, emotion and, and feel of the film. The Power of the Dog is streaming now on Netflix, so you can check that out from the comfort of your own home. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So let's go to your number three movie. Hey, right, so number three is Rebecca Hall's directorial debut, Passing, uh, which I saw at Virtual Sundance. Uh, it's my favourite film of this year's Sundance Film Festival. Tessa Thompson, Ruth Nager are uh, just give amazing performances in this film, and I'll, I will again, as usual, uh, give you give you the IMDb plot outline. So Passing follows the unexpected reunion of two high school friends whose renewed acquaintance ignites a mutual obsession that threatens both of their carefully constructed realities. Um, It is sumptuously shot in black and white by Edu Grau, uh, who who also shot the my one acting credit on IMDb. <laughs> uh, he, he is the DOP for Sarah Gavron's Suffragette. Uh, so it was it was phenomenal to see to see how beautiful that film looked and went aha. <laughs> I I I can see some cinematogra- uh, cinematographic talent here going on, but 
Uh, Rebecca's done a phenomenal job on this film. Uh, she also uh, she also adapted Nella Larson's novel, so so she's written, she's directed uh, mm. this film. Um, but before I comment on passing, uh, what was your character in in Suffragette again? For those who may not be familiar. <laughs> Where, where can people spot you? Where can people spot me? Uh, well, myself and my family can spot me because they were on set <laughs> when 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 we when we shot that. Uh, I am I'm labelled as a committee member, and I'm in the sequence just outside of the Houses of Parliament mm. in 1913. Um, I'm I'm only I'm. Very, very far in the background in the final cut. We, we, it gave me, a, it actually gave me a, 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 a new appreciation of how hard it is to shoot a movie. And, and then sadly, I'm, I'm mostly on the cutting room floor uh, in that one. <laughs> we, but I am, I am, I am in the end credits. And thanks to, thanks to the way the end credits are listed, which is in appearance order mm. instead of kind of like significance order. I do actually appear before Meryl Streep. Look so I'm that. actually billed eight <laughs> above Meryl Streep in the end credits. And so and for, for back, back in the days when, when the movie came out, I, I could kind of like humorously claim, oh, yes, I was billed above Meryl Streep in her latest movie. <laughs> Which is something very few people uh, can, can ever say. Correct. Yeah. Uh, on passing... Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega really give phenomenal performances. Um, Ruth Nega had a, a bunch of praise coming out of Sundance, um, and and they were both really phenomenal. So definitely, definitely go check that out. Um, it's it a really and, interesting and, and intriguing watch. And of course, Tessa Thompson was in Sylvie's Love, which was very high in my top ten last year. <laughs> and she was also in um, Sorry to Bother You, which was on my top ten list from 2018. So the trend of Tessa Thompson uh, continues. <laughs> And uh, speaking of black and white films um, and, and period pieces, uh, my number three is uh, Kenneth Branagh's Belfast. Um, it stars Jude Hill, uh, Louis McCassey, Katrina Balfe, and Jamie Dornan. It's a semi-autobiographical film uh, about his life as a young boy and his working-class uh, Belfast family experience in the tumultuous uh, late 1960s, uh, per the IMDb synopsis. And... Um, you know, I, I, I'm a fan of Kenneth Branagh. Um, his, his film Hamlet is definitely a movie that changed my life when I saw it uh, way back in high school. It completely uh, changed the way I, I, I looked at movies in, in so many ways. But uh, so I went into this and like I said before, having a daughter sort of changed the way I, I looked at movies. And this is an amazing film, but it's also so high on my list because it was the first new film that I watched where I actually had a different response to the movie um, because I'm now a, a, a parent. Um, I, I found myself asking several times throughout the movie, like, how would I be acting um, with my daughter if we were in a similar situation? Mm. Um, and it made me just view it in a completely different way and experience a movie in, in a way that I, I hadn't um, up until that point. Um, so it was a very personal, deeply personal selection for me. Uh, but that being said, I, I, I highly recommend people watch it. I know there's Oscars buzz for for several categories um, um, for the film. So, um, yeah, just very, very powerful and, and not like sad movie, but like emotional movie to, to watch. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Carl, did you have thoughts yeah. on Film Fest? Yeah, so, so this, is, this is interesting. You would have loved the London Film Festival this year. <laughs> because, <laughs> Apparently. Because I also saw this at the London Film Festival uh, with an audience, uh, with with Kenneth Branagh, with the cast in attendance, um, including in, including uh, Judy Dench, uh, who received a standing ovation uh, mm-hmm. just for being present in the in the room. <laughs> uh, such is her, you know, s- such is her presence, I guess. Right. Um, just uh, yeah. So so great. Absolutely brilliant film and yeah why it's so also yeah it's it's nice we hit the 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 black and white photography together there that is kind of like an interesting coincidence in the Mm -hmm. in the ranking now i i know people like people think of um kenneth branagh as kind of like the shakespearean actor and and, um kind of like serious director i absolutely loved dead again which is uh, a film he directed in the early 1990s. But I'm a big Alfred Hitchcock fan, um, and it's kind of like a Kenneth Branagh uh, tribute to Hitch. Um, so check that one out as well if you uh, if you're interested. Yep, great recommendation. Um, moving on to our number twos, call. What is hey, your number hey. two? All right, number two, I have Augustine Frizzell's The Last Letter from Your Lover. This captivated me because of the dual timelines again. So so in a similar way mm. <laughs> to Last Night in Soho, uh, this takes place in modern times and in the 1960s um, in uh, London and on the French Riviera. Uh, based on a Jojo Moyes novel, uh, her, her novel Me Before You was adapted for the screen in 2016. Uh, we have Felicity Jones, Shailene Woodley, Joe Alwyn, um, and Naban Rizwan uh, are the four kind of leads in that. And uh, let me give you the let me give you the summary. A pair of interwoven stories set in the past and present. Follow an ambitious journalist determined to solve the mystery of a forbidden love affair at the centre of a trove of secret love letters from 1965. Um, so this is this is just my kind of film. Uh, it's <laughs> it has a French connection in there. It has Felicity Jones, who's my favourite living actress, um, and it tells a, a, a really fascinating story. So completely uh, completely fell in love with this one. And where was the first time you watched this? Oh, oh. <laughs> now, th- this was not at a film festival. Uh, this was okay. one of our Tuesday lunchtime cinema trips in a theatre. So great to see it on the big screen. Yeah, um, it, yeah. It's, it's a fun play between these characters. Um, it, it reminded me of, for some reason, I kept thinking of the movie The, the Lake House with uh, Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. Um, yes. Because there is a sort of dual timeline. Uh, letters are heavily yes. sort of moving the story <laughs> along. Uh, so that's what I was thinking of when, when I watched this. Yeah, it's a fun watch. Uh, if you like uh, a, a romance uh, period piece, this is definitely one for you. You can watch that on Netflix uh, right now. So you can check that out. Um, my number two is Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, film adaptation of Jonathan Larson's Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, this is starring Andrew Garfield, who gives an incredible performance. Um, Alexandra Ship, Robin de Jesus, and Vanessa Hudgens. Um, this is based on the musical that Jonathan Larson, who also went on to write Rent, 
uh, wrote, and it's about um, him on the cusp of his 30th birthday, a promising young theater composer, Larson, uh, navigates love, friendship, and the pressures of life as an artist in New York City. Um, I first uh, listened to Tick, Tick, Boom way back when I was a theater, musical theater lover in, in high school. And I had never seen the stage play, but I fell so in love with Jonathan Larson, Rent, and, and Tick, Tick, Boom that when this was announced, I was so excited to see it. Um, you know, Tick, Tick, Boom and, and Larson and Rent also changed me in many ways. Um, Larson was deeply inspiring to me um, from a music standpoint. Just his whole life story uh, is, is deeply inspiring uh, for me as like a young creative person. And so when I watched this, I finally, it was really seeing something I never thought I would see. Um, I saw a pretty funny tweet on, on Twitter where someone said, Tick, Tick, Boom is the musical theater kids endgame. Um, because it's sort of <laughs> this thing where you never thought you'd see it. Um, there's a lot of really fun musical theater, um, you know, nods and sort of uh, cameos from people who are very important in the theater world. And it was really just so incredible for, for me to see. You know, I, I think people who aren't familiar with Larson can appreciate uh, the film. But I think for people who really love Jonathan Larson um, will experience it in, in a very different way. And for me, Andrew Garfield was just phenomenal. You know, he learned to play piano uh, for, for this role. And of course, Andrew Garfield can sing because what can't he do? Um, <laughs> you know, he, he was really phenomenal. And, and I hope he gets to, um, you know, ride this momentum forward into the award season as well. And, um, you know, you can watch it on Netflix. I, I can't praise this movie enough. It was just something I never thought I'd see. And, and he did it, Lin-Manuel Miranda and the cast and crew just did it so well and, and really... Um, made my heart sing uh, when I finally got right. to see it. Sing, no pun intended, but it did. Oh. Uh, Call. Uh, what were your thoughts on Tick Tick? Now, now, the, now, this this is this this is interesting because, of course, I'm a movie person rather than a musical theatre person. So I did not know the backstory mm. behind Rent. So to me, this is one of the, the 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 wonders of movies as a whole, being able to. You know, take you to um, take you to somebody's story, and then kind of like develop a, a renewed appreciation. Like I like I need to go see Rent again, yeah, <laughs> right now because because of understanding how it came about and struggles and and the journey there. And um, I'm not going to say the, mm -hmm. the, the 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 major spoiler, uh, but uh, probably everybody on the planet apart from me knew that already. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, yeah. And watching it as, like, a, a fan of Rent, there's Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is clearly such a fan of Larson and Rent. There's so many little moments where um, it's like that meme of Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where it's like, oh, like, there's a little nod there, there's a little nod there, and he really he really does the film and, and, and the musical justice. Um, so let's move on to our number one movies of the year. Call. Hey, hey. What is so, number one? Uh, number one, I have Kerry Fukunaga's No Time to Die. Mm. Um, now, this this was special to me for several reasons. Um, number one is we were very fortunate to be able to attend the world premiere at the Royal Albert Hall in London with members of the royal family present. And this was really kind of like the the big return to cinema 
to theatres um, for us. So seeing seeing that there was special in one way. And then um, I'm also a huge Alfred Hitchcock fan, um, as has been widely widely reported. <laughs> um, and and the, uh, the there's a brilliant sequence at the end of The Man Who Knew Too Much from 1956, which is set and shot at the Albert Hall. So I'm watching a James Bond movie <laughs> in a Hitchcock location. Um, I'd I'd prepared myself by I'd rewatched Spectre. So I kind of like where is where is this story going to go? Um, a touching way mm-hmm. for for Daniel Craig to say goodbye to the series. Uh, Rami Malek kind of like I could watch him in anything. <laughs> um, uh, Leah Sadu, of course, but the the real the the gem in this movie is Anna de Armas mm, as mm-hmm. Paloma. Uh, she is she is such a character. It's so well acted and um, she just lights up the screen in all of her scenes. It's it's kind of it's such a it's such a thrilling part of the movie without giving too much away. Um, and then I, I like I, I I went on IMDb to do a little bit of kind of trivia research for this one. And I, I love this this little nugget here. So it's the first Bond movie for 31 years that features Q, Felix Leiter, M, and Money Penny. So the last time we saw all of those characters in a single Bond movie was Licensed to Kill in mm. 1989. Um, I'll I'll give you the I'll give you the IMDb plot outline because of course I will. Uh, so James Bond has left active service. His peace is short-lived when Felix Leiter, an old friend from the CIA, turns up asking for help, leading Bond onto the trail of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. Similar to my feelings of wishing Steven Spielberg had done more musicals after watching West Side Story, after I watched No Time to Die, I was like, why didn't Kerry Joji Fukunaga do more Bond movies uh, or more <laughs> these big action films? Because it's so beautifully shot. Um, the, the scenes where they're on, um, I'll say, the island, uh, mm-hmm. and they're sort of running around trying to find the villain some of the coolest and best looking action sequences i've seen um and of course you know one of the many bond trademarks uh, are the opening sequences and uh kerry joji fukunaga just directs the opening sequence of no time to die so beautifully uh and 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 so well and so fun um and and more call ian best of list parody uh anna de armis stars in knives out which is one of the four films that both you and i put Ah! Uh, on our lists at the same time. So uh, there there it is, Antarmis, connecting uh, our, our rarely connect- connected lists. And apparently um, Daniel Craig had a lot to do with her casting oh. in No Time to Die because he had just worked with her in Knives Out. Yeah, I actually blanked for a second that he was in that. So there it is, yes. <laughs> so considering Brilliant se- acting, scene stealing, of Exactly, right. <laughs> Uh, and, and I agree with you. You know, I grew up with the Bond franchise. Um, I have very fond memories of watching the movies with my grandfather. Um, and I, I agree with you. Like, they really wrapped up um, the the Craig s- series, mini franchise within mm-hmm. the franchise, uh, really well. And it, it was so fun, so fun to watch. 
Uh, and this goes to my number one, which is Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. Uh, Star Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, uh, Leia Seydoux again. Um, and it is a love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper and a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch magazine. Um, if that doesn't sound like a Wes Anderson synopsis, I'm not quite sure what does. Um, similar to what I said about Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, Wes Anderson is one of the f- current living film directors where if I know they have a movie coming out, I am marking it on my calendar and actively counting down the days to it. Um, and the French Dispatch, I know, was a little polarizing for some fans. Um, but for me, I, I, I think it's actually maybe one of my top three of his films um, because it, it felt very different to me. You know, a lot of his movies really focus on loneliness and um, sort of relationships with fathers. And you get touches of that throughout the French Dispatch, but... The French Dispatch was the first film of his where I really felt like he was making a statement um, about art. And he does it, I think, exquisitely well through these little short stories uh, within the, the, the greater film. And he says so much about the importance of collaboration and the importance of, um, you know, uh, the, the beauty of writing and all these sorts of things. And so it really struck me because, I, you know, I, I went in having read a handful of reviews saying that it didn't really click with them. Um, and, and it really, really stood out to me. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I'm looking forward to watching it again because I think, um, similar to Power of the Dog, it's a movie where I think as I rewatch it more and more, I'll sort of grab and take little more things um, from subsequent viewings. Uh, Cole, what were your thoughts on The French so, Dispatch? So this, this, this one for me, this was another London Film Festival um, film, um, including a surprise appearance on stage at the end by Bill Murray. So he didn't mm. make it, he didn't make it for the intro. He'd mm-hmm. flown in from the set of Wes's current movie, whose title he then announced on the stage of the film festival. And it does appear that he wasn't supposed to reveal that much information. <laughs> So we kind of got a we kind of got a peek inside uh, Wes's next movie. Um, now, I, so so I do love Wes generally, mm-hmm. um, but not all not every film hits it for me. Um, but the thing that I admire about Wes is that he's one of those directors who is always ambitious. Um, and to use a sports analogy, um, he definitely always uh, swings for the fences. If you go and want to get those home runs, you've got to do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, another thing that has my love for Wes Anderson and, again, Paul Thomas Anderson and Celine Sciamma is another good example is, um, like I said with West Side Story, in an age of remakes and reboots and, and adaptations, it's so hard to find directors who really take pride in doing original stories. Um, so that's another standout for me that, you know, on my list, there's, you know, only a handful of, of original stories through here. Most of them are book adaptations uh, or play adaptations or musical adaptations. So, um, you know, seeing a truly original story there, I think also makes things like tick up on my list quite a bit um, because I, I just really appreciate that as that's, that is becoming harder and harder to find, you know, as, as sort of the, the film, the trends of film have, have been morphing over the last you know, however many years. Um, 
But yeah, great, great lists call b- between you and me. And uh, and you. Well, obviously, you're going to think your list is great. So, but <laughs> yeah. thank you for thank you for your the admiration of my yes. list. and and straight back at you there in terms of your choices. Well, uh, done. <laughs> do, do you see a theme? Uh, but between the films that you you selected for your top ten list by chance? Oh my goodness! Um, they're all great movies that I loved. <laughs> <laughs> that's that, that's really the only theme you need for a list like this, right? And once again, if you want to check out all the other amazing best of lists that we have on IMDb, you can check that out at imdb.com/bestof. Well, Call, thank you again. As I said earlier, this is one of my favorite uh, end-of-the-year traditions. Now we're going on four strong years. I'm very much looking to our fifth year. Maybe we can increase our 10% list parity to maybe like 12%, uh, 15% <laughs> next year. So we'll see how it goes. But thank you so much for joining. Uh, it, was a, it was a pleasure as always. Yeah, onwards onwards to our fifth edition. I'm really excited about what 2022 uh, holds for just the, the range of movies that are going to be available and hopefully the opportunities for more people to see them together in theatres or at film festivals in theatres or, or wherever they may be in the world. It's better, to, it's better to be able to see the movies. So if you're only watching them at home, that's still okay. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Cole, and we'll talk soon. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.